everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've not yet met in person, but is another match from Podmatch. He's a pastor and an author and specializes in hermeneutics, and he's my first guest from Australia. It's Chad Mansbridge. Hi, Chad. Come on, your first guest from Australia. I know, and I even hey. have a friend. I've been there, I know. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much for uh, for taking your uh, taking a risk on an Aussie down under. Oh my gosh, well, thank you. We had to coordinate the time and it's like early there for you. So I'm glad that we were able to do it. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Well, uh, Australia, I live in South Australia, so that's the name of my state. I live on the coast and uh, I'm 43 years of age. I've been married for 20-something years, wow, <laughs> married quite you. young. Um, oh, don't tell my wife. I forgot uh, forgot how long that is. Uh, <laughs> I won't. What I do remember is we have four children and, uh, and uh, three of which are actually young adults. And then we had a 10-year gap between number three and four. So the youngest one is uh, only six at the moment. And uh, we've been leading a church. I'm from the Protestant uh, tradition. So um, I'm uh, re- refer to myself as a pastor of a church. Uh, and uh, we've been doing that for 20 years. So we actually started the church that we lead or in our sort of circles, we talk about planting, church planting. Uh, we planted the church in my hometown essentially 20 years ago when we were just 23 years of age. And this year we're celebrating our 20th anniversary uh, leading a church. I, when I was looking at your bio, I, I noticed that terminology of plant. Um, could, do you mind? Like, I've never really heard like of planting a church, so I can assume what that means. But do you want to kind of explain what that means? Well, I guess I guess it draws on that thing of a you know you plant a tree, plant a sapling, and the hope mm-hmm. that it will grow and bear and bear much fruit. But what's really interesting to me is that I actually uh, a few years into church planting, okay, <laughs> I actually <laughs> pictured the church that I was planting more as a garden bed. Than the tree itself, because Isaiah talks about God's people being plantings of the Lord mm-hmm. for the display mm-hmm. of his splendor. And so I kind of feel like my job as a, let's say a pioneering pastor, maybe is a better is a better term, is it was to create a garden bed where God the gardener would plant people in this bed. And so I just pr- provide a framework. I provide an atmosphere. I provide an environment where God the gardener could plant people. And so uh, yeah, so church planting, I think, is a phrase that's common within my Protestant or evangelical tradition. Mm. Where exactly it come from, I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> but certainly biblically thinking, I think, uh, yeah, a couple of years in, I was more challenged not to see the church as a plant, but to see the church as a garden, uh, which uh, God the gardener could plant people into, yeah. No, I can totally, I can see that, especially reference that Isaiah passage. And I think this all ties in well to our passage that we're going to talk about today, which has to do with plants. And Wouldn't you know growth. it? What a segue. I that was amazing. I know. <laughs> I know. We did. Holy Spirit, for sure. Um, so what I'm going to have you do, Chad, is go ahead and read that verse. We're going to be talking about John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Um, and did you decide what translation you want to use? Well, look, we'll start with the NASB, if that's most familiar to you. I'm really happy to do that. And uh, I'm going to read the first eight verses, but we're going to concentrate on verse 1 and 2. But again, like you mentioned right at the start for context, Let's read eight verses, but we'll focus back on one and two. Sounds good. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it can be more fruit. You are already clean 
because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you, unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's verse 1 to 8 of John 15. Yes, thank you. And um, this is one of my favorite passages from John. We've done a, quite a few passages from John on this podcast so far. I mean, John is so unique. In, you know, he's more symbolic. He's not synoptic and has a different perspective, focuses a lot on the Trinity. And right before this in John, in chapter 14, he Jesus mentions the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit. And John's gospel is very Trinitarian. Often Jesus is talking about his connection to the Father, which he does here. Um, so you can see that like Trinitarian perspective. And and this comes in a series of chapters, 14, kind of through 17, where Jesus, it's during the Last Supper and John's gospel, and Jesus is really preparing his apostles and disciples for what comes next after the Passion. Um, and so, yeah, so he's just kind of preparing them. But this is such a beautiful message to remind them that they need to stay connected to him and to the whole Trinity. So my first question for my guests is, why did you pick this passage, Chad? Well, I, I picked this passage. Um, one of the things you mentioned right at the start is that I'm also not only a pastor, but I'm also an author. And uh, in late 2021, I released a book on hermeneutics. Now, that's a fancy term, but it basically <laughs> uh, talks about how to interpret the Bible. How do we read it properly? How are we supposed to understand it? And then what the heck do we do with it? You know, um, And one of the reasons that there exists different streams in the church as, as, as even like us, Catholic and Protestant today, uh, is not necessarily because we have a different Bible, although that also can be another discussion. Uh, but it's actually because... <laughs> I do. My Bible's a little different, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We have a few more books, a couple more books. But essentially the main differences come because of how we understand uh, the meaning of what we're uh, reading. So essentially we the same Bible, but we are different understanding the meaning. We, we, we apply different hermeneutics. We read it kind of differently. And so it's a massive subject to know how we're supposed to read the Bible in a healthy way that does uh, that brings good to people and not harm, you know, and uh, how we're supposed to do that. And so that's when I, I released a book last year called You Can Handle the Truth. You can handle the truth. It comes from uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 where Paul says, uh, be a work person that correctly handles the word of truth. And um, there's a correct way and an incorrect way to handle the Bible. And the reason I chose this passage to your question is because in the book, I give a lot of examples of, uh, of, of real life examples of how things can be read a little bit differently. And I just happened to use this passage uh, in the book in one uh, or two of the chapters. Uh, and so that's why I wanted to use it today, because the first thing I want to do is I want to zoom out a little bit, as, as you've kind of done in your introduction by giving us the Last Supper context. I want to zoom out a little bit, but then also zoom in. Uh, and do and end up doing a bit of a word study as we zoom in close to the text and just see how that can open a quite different understandings of what Jesus is actually meaning here. So that's why I chose John 15. I love that. Yeah, I 
I use this passage when I teach John to my students. I teach middle school. Uh, so I picked this because I mentioned in my introduction as well, John is a little bit different. John was Jewish, and so he was using a lot of symbolic language. And um, obviously in Israel, there are lots, I've been, there are lots of uh, olive trees and, and vineyards. And so John often uses these images and symbols that the Jews and people of that place and time would be familiar with. And my footnotes in my translation say that the image of the vineyard is often used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. So again, writing to like a Jewish audience, like the, the Jewish people, we'd be familiar with this kind of symbol and, and John is full of symbols. So you kind of alluded to like that kind of scope and like narrowing in and out. So I don't know, did you want to kind of start with like this image of the vineyard and like what that, what different contexts and different, I don't know, messages that might have for us? Yeah. Well, the, the, the first thing I normally start with is, you know, the first step about uh, handling the Bible well is to read it well. <laughs> you got you got to read it, you know, you got to ask yourself, what does this passage abs- uh, actually say? And so mm-hmm. the first thing we need to do is to be b- good Bible readers, and that starts with the issue of the heart, like being humble, being grateful when we approach the Word of God, being expectant when we approach the Scripture that God's going to speak to us and we're going to learn something. Uh, But it also means reading the Bible intelligently and reading Mm -hmm. it intentionally. And there's different ways you can approach your Bible reading intentionally. One is devotional, where you just focus on a verse and you mull over it and you ask the Lord to speak to you and admit it. You know, it, it, it does good for your heart, that type of thing. You can also read the Bible topically. Uh, So you might come across a passage like this if you're doing research, let's say, on the I am statements. And of course, you're doing Mm. John at the moment, Julia. So, you know, there's these seven, maybe eight classic I am statements on the bread of life, Mm. on the way, the truth and the life, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And this is one of those. So you may come across this passage if you're doing a topical study on that. Uh, You may come across this passage if you're doing a a topical study on vines or vineyards in the Bible. Or you may come across Mm -hmm. this passage if you're doing a study on departure speeches, because like you said, this is part of the Last Supper, Mm -hmm. but it's also a great New Testament example of what we see all the way through the scripture. Well, not all the way through the scripture, but in a a number of points in the Bible with key characters, uh, basically in their dying moments, okay, they have have like a a final departure speech, Mm -hmm. a farewell speech. Moses um, is is famous for this, as is Joshua and, and Israel and others. So Jesus is doing this as a departure speech. Or you may come across this passage just because you're reading the Bible systematically. You're reading it from start to finish. You're reading it chronologically. So maybe you've chosen John and you're literally just reading chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter as John was supposed to be read. Okay. Mm, And that's mm -hmm. why you've come across it. And I think if you start there reading the Bible well, reading the Bible intentionally, uh, that will is the first step in handling the, the word of God well. And you will do exactly what you did, Julia, right at the start. You will understand the context of who is speaking, where it's being said, the audience that's being addressed, what happened just beforehand. You mentioned the Holy Spirit promise, mm-hmm. what's happening, coming up, etc., etc. So uh, the first step in really handling the Bible well and handling this passage well is to read it in context. And so um, I'm glad you established that context. That was an important thing to do. Um, but to your question of looking at how this compares with other scripture on vines, that is exactly mm-hmm. the first thing I wanted to do because oh, good. when we, Yay, the yeah, Holy Spirit. <laughs> that, that's taking a step back, you know, that's, that's saying, okay, well, what did Jesus mean when he said, mm-hmm. and verse one and two are going to be our focus. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Okay. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear even more fruit. What did Jesus mean by that? And we know that's what he said, 
But what did he mean? What did he mean when he said that? And one of the ways that we establish meaning of a text is by comparing this scripture with other scriptures that speak to us in a similar way. Um, as you said, culturally, Israel does have vines and vineyards. And so in a sense, it makes kind of sense for Jesus to speak mm-hmm. in, in an agrarian or use viticulture. Okay. <laughs> I'm from mm-hmm. South Australia. So in South Australia, we're, we're well known for our wines. Okay. We, we actually have a, we're mm-hmm. a famous wine region. We're basically a region. We're basically the equivalent of the Napier Valley where I live. So, um, so vineyards. Uh, I'm feature, jealous. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's beautiful. We let, if, for the wine drinkers out there, they may have heard of a place called McLaren Vale or the Barossa Valley. Well, that's kind of near where I live. Wow. So it's world, world famous for its wine. So vines and vineyards, you know, when I drive to the city, I'm driving uh, past dozens of wineries, you know, to, to get there. So yes, was Jesus doing that? Or was he actually referencing other scripture by calling his disciples himself a vine and his disciples branches? Was he actually referencing Old Testament scripture? And that's exactly what he was mm-hmm. doing. To understand this mm-hmm. metaphor, uh, we need to understand, we need to compare scripture with scripture. And so to really mm-hmm. understand this, we want to zoom out and we want to have a look at all the other instances where the Bible uses this image of a vine and a vineyard. And it's all the way through the scripture. Psalm 80, Jeremiah 2, Lamentations 1, Isaiah chapter 5. There's a whole chapter devoted to Israel being called God's Vineyard, Ezekiel 15, same thing, a whole chapter um, dedicated to that. Hosea chapter 10, Hosea uses the vine vineyard motif and it all begins with uh, Moses, like most things do in, in Deuteronomy. He refers to Israel as being a vine when he's prophesying over them. So Jesus, you know, we call the New Testament new but it doesn't mean it's original. It doesn't mean that everything in the uh, New Testament is brand new, never mm-hmm. before. No, no, no. Jesus is borrowing Old Testament concepts, Old Testament language. He's borrowing Old Testament metaphor, and he is uh, revisiting them in light of his work in the new covenant. Yes, he came to bring a new covenant, a new testament. And when he lifted the wine, we know this at the Last Supper, he said, this, is, this wine is the New Testament in my blood, okay, or the New Covenant mm-hmm. in my blood. But it's built on the tradition of existing covenants. And the vine metaphor he uses in John 15 is built on the tradition of Israel understanding that God saw them as a vineyard uh, connected with him as the vine dresser. So it's not a new illustration. It's just repurposed in Jesus. And uh, that actually really helps us look at this passage again, because Jesus here in John 1 doesn't say, I am the vine. He says here in verse 1, I am the true vine. Mm -hmm. And if we understand that Israel, old covenant Israel was seen as God's vine, then that word true now sticks out to us. We go, oh, Jesus is now contrasting his new vine or his true vine with the existing or prevailing vine of old covenant Israel. So suddenly this illustration, we see the meaning here that Jesus is not just saying, I am the vine. He's saying, I am the true vine. And he is intentionally drawing a contrast between his new covenant community and the existing old covenant community of Israel. And that's something we'd miss if we don't take a step back and appreciate Mm -hmm. that this is a Big picture view, this vineyard motif runs all the way through the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, looking at my footnotes, I also have all of the, the 
passages you kind of mentioned, like the Psalm 80, Hosea 10, Isaiah 5. Of those, do you have any, like, I don't want to put you on the spot, but are there any, like, specifically that really connect us to this one? Or are they all kind of similar? Or is there one that stands out to you the most? Oh, I've got my Bible here. I'll tell you what, I'll turn to Jeremiah because I've got a feeling, and I don't want to be wrong on this. <laughs> I know that... Um, as I said, Isaiah 5 and Ezekiel 15 are really explicit. I mean, they just come out and say, Israel is God's vine. You know, they are the vines mm-hmm. he delighted in. Uh, but I think it's Jeremiah chapter 2 that actually brings out, you know how we read er- um, earlier when I kept reading the passage, it said, you are clean because of the mm-hmm. words that I've spoken to you. I actually believe that's Jesus borrowing from Jeremiah yeah, verse t- 21 is the one that is referenced in my Bible, Jeremiah 2, 21. I'm going to flip to it as well. So I'm going to read it from the, the NIV here, Jeremiah 2, 21. I had planted you. Now, God's not talking to Christians. Uh, Jeremiah's not talking to Christians, of course. He's now talking right, to right. Old Covenant Israel. I have planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. So isn't that interesting? Right there, Jeremiah, he is the one that joins vines, God's people Mm -hmm. being a vine, with being washed or clean with soap. Well, that now makes sense of what Jesus is doing in John 15, where he says, you're a Mm -hmm. vine and I've made you clean by my words. You think, what the heck does a, you know, no... (laughs) I've seen vineyards. I, you do not see vine keepers out there washing vines with soap. I mean, those two things just don't just don't <laughs> right. add up. But if we understand, oh, no, no, we're meant to compare Scripture with Scripture. We're not ultimately meant to compare Scripture with modern farming techniques, okay? Ultimately, to come to an understanding, we compare Scripture with Scripture. And so we understand, oh, Jesus is drawing, he's really drawing on Jeremiah here by making that association of being clean, what the old covenant could not do your soap could not make you clean jesus is now coming along and saying you are my new vine you are the true i'm the true vine you and me we are the true vine and i've made you clean what jeremiah what the old covenant could not do jesus is now saying is happening in this new community that i'm establishing yeah i love that and i i I don't want to get it too like down on this Jeremiah, but I am. I love the connection too, of like I know the context of what's going on in Jeremiah and the Babylonian exile. People are turning from focusing on the true God to like to false gods and and Babylon, and this idea of like trying to stay close to, and that's what Jesus is saying in his context too of like trying to stay close to the vine, whereas Jeremiah is like, how could you turn from the vine? Like how could you? remove yourself you know like I just that kind of stood out to me we read the Jeremiah passages that idea of staying close and I feel like that is what Jesus is saying back in the John 15 is like remain in me right you read all that that part about remaining in him which is what Jeremiah was trying to get the people to do in the old testament as well as to remain close to God but so same kind of sentiment you know like you met like you mentioned as well the cleansing too like the um, it's it's associated there yeah. and, and that's why you know if you read If you want to come to a conclusion, our our point really on this on an interpretive level is if you want to come to the conclusion on what the author is talking about, or in this case, the speaker, Jesus, let's say, Mm -hmm. uh, if we want to understand what he means, then be willing to compare scripture with scripture. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Bible is its own best interpreter. You know, you let the Bible interpret itself. And so if you're asking, why did Jesus use vines? It's 
it's understandable, but it's also a little bit lazy just to say, mm-hmm. well, there was vines in, in Jesus was, you know, in, in talking to a farming community and so they used vines and so that, well, that's true, but it's, a, it's not entirely true. Jesus is using scripture. Jesus is referring to Old Testament scripture. And so you you have what you've got there, Julia, with your 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 um, study Bible. You said all those references are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my case, you might go onto an electronic Bible program or even a website uh, like biblehub.com, uh, something like that, where you can, it'll have all those references there for you. So people at home can do this. It's not just people like yourself with a master's in theology or someone like <laughs> me who's been leading a church for 20 years. If you, mm-hmm. you have not just a Bible, get yourself a study Bible, then you'll be able to do exactly what Julie and I are just are doing right now. Uh, it will show you those cross-references. Or as I said, if you use a website like biblehub.com, uh, it will show you those references on the site and you yourself can cross-reference and get an idea. Why is Jesus using a vine or a vineyard metaphor? Well, he didn't originate with Jesus, okay? Right. He's borrowing it from the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of these New Testament authors, and they they get to heaven, that, that, you know, I think some of the Old Testament authors are going to have a word with them about copywriting their material. I mean, they, they just blatantly <laughs> yeah. plagiarize the Old Testament. <laughs> and that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's plagiarizing Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses, of course, because it all begins with Moses. Uh, so, yeah, so that's mm-hmm. a, a great observation as we've stepped back. Now, not just step back in history or step back in culture, but step back to look at the big Bible perspective. Uh, we It helps us now understand what Jesus is saying in John 15 and that he's not just using a metaphor, he's using a comparative metaphor because he's mm-hmm. saying there, I am the true vine. And this is where we can actually start zooming in because now that word true, oh, now, now that, that should get our attention. We should go, oh, He's not just the vine, he's the true vine. So what does true mean? So what you do is you, you get on your Bible program and you click on the word true, okay? And it will show you every time that word true is used in the New Testament. It'll uh, open up a Bible dictionary that explains what that word means in the Greek. And it will show you every other time it's used. It's used about 28 times in the New Testament. And funnily enough, the vast majority of them are in John. Well, that's interesting, Julia. This brings up a whole nother potential study in the Gospel of John, how John uses the word true. Uh, in, in both Revelation, First John, and, and here in the Gospel. And he uses it to talk about the true light that came into heaven in chapter 1, or true worshippers, worship mm-hmm. in spirit and truth in chapter 4, the true bread that came down from heaven in chapter 6. What's he doing in chapter 6? He's talking about the manna that came down in the days of Moses. Mm-hmm. And now he's saying, but, the, but now the true bread has come down. Mm-hmm. So again, there's this Old New Testament sort of contrast. What happened in the Old Testament now what's happening today in Jesus is the true version of that in that sense. And and so we're getting this idea that Jesus is drawing a contrast in this metaphor uh, as we understand the big picture and as we zoom in on that word true. Oh, my gosh. I, I And I love this stuff. And I that's why I, I study scripture and why I enjoy teaching it. I just feel like it adds so much to the richness. And, and like you said, mentioned earlier, it's kind of lazy to just be like, well, he used the things of his time, like, of course, and that makes sense. But when you peel back the layers of this, you know, there's so much even more true beauty, you know, and, and like you mentioned earlier about like intentionality, like that, you know, we have to read it intentionally, but also all these words were chosen intentionally by Jesus, by the authors of the books. Um, So what else would you like to say about this, this passage you've already given and shared so much with us, any kind of like maybe spiritual connotations. Um, We've talked a lot about the historical 
Well, could I? If we if we are we nerding out together, Julie? Is that what yes, we're doing? Yes, we are. Oh, great! I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we move on to verse two, I'm I'm going to present something that's a, a little bit unusual just to get our audience, just to get us thinking today. But verse two says this. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear even more fruit. Now, if I'm studying the scripture and I read that, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That sounds really serious to me. I mean, I'm yeah. thinking someone's connected with Jesus. He's in the vine. He's part of this collective body, the, the not the old Israel, but the new Israel, the new covenant community that God's drawing. And now suddenly, for some reason, God the Father is going to take this person or break this person away from the the vine. That sounds pretty serious. So I want to have a closer look. I don't want to dismiss that. I just want to yeah. look closer. And so what I do for that is I do exactly what we did for our word in verse one, the word new. I'd click on the word takes away. What does that actually, what does that word mean? And if you do that, you find it's the Greek word aero. Okay, whatever. doesn't, that just is what it is. It's all Greek to me. But, um, but the it's word. It's literally all Greek. It's yeah. literally all Greek. <laughs> yeah. And, but it, and interesting because in Strong's Concordance, or when you open up different Bible dictionaries, that word can be translated to raise, to take up, or to lift. It can mean to take up or it can mean take away. Either of those translations can work for this word. The word appears over 100 times in the New Testament. It will show you that on your Bible program and in John's gospel 25 times. And if you look at how John uses this word, he uses it both ways. Sometimes like um, he'll talk about taking up your cross daily and yeah. follow me. Well, that means take up. You know, you're picking something up when it says that uh, a man picked up his mat and walked. It's the same uh, word. They picked up his mat. When it talks about the Pharisees picking up stones to stone someone. So sometimes that word can mean pick up. Other times it can mean take away. So when Jesus said, get these doves out of here, take them away. Mm -hmm. It's that word. When, he's, when John the baptizer said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it's take away. But these are two quite different images. One of them is take away and one of them is take up, lift mm -hmm. up. So which one is the most appropriate for this passage? What is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that if a branch does not bear fruit, God will take it away? Or is he saying, should it read, that God it will take that branch up, will lift it up. In fact, if you read the story of Lazarus, which is in the Gospel of John, he uses this word twice in one verse where it says that they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. Took away, lift up. Take away, lift up. Same word. <laughs> it just has a very different picture. And so one of the interesting things about this, and this is just to get people thinking, is it possible that this passage does not say he who does not bear fruit, he will take away. Should it rather say the, 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 the branch that does not bear fruit, he will lift up? Because that can be what that word means. In fact, there is a translation um, uh, called the Passion Translation that puts it this way. It says, he cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up fruitless branches. Because one of the things I know living in a vineyard area is that if a branch is connected to the vine, 
Why would it be fruitless? Why would it not bear fruit? And one of the practical answers to that is it's not getting sunshine. It might be connected. It's connected to the vine, but it's not getting sun. You need sunshine. And so what a farmer would do is lift up that branch. They may tie it to a trellis or put it on stones in ancient Israel. They won't let the vine branch drag on the ground because it's not going to produce fruit line on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's, going to, it's just going to get in the shade and not produce anything. So what does the farmer do? Does the farmer kill it or does the farmer care for it? Does the farmer take it away or does the farmer take it up to a higher place and expose it to the sun? Well, my goodness, those are two very different understandings. They are complete opposite understandings of what Jesus is doing here. Yet that word can be used both ways. And that is where you can then have discussions with your friends over lunch and go, well, what did Jesus mean? <laughs> did, he, did he really mean? Because that word is the word John uses. Is that word best translated in English, take away? Or is it best translated, take up? Will Jesus remove or will God the Father take people away from the community of faith if they don't bear fruit? Or will God the Father lift them up, encourage them, strengthen them so that they can bear fruit into the future. Two very, very different understandings. And that's why people come to different uh, points of view mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Bible, mm-hmm. because oh sometimes a word study can open up quite different uh, renderings. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely prefer the latter interpretation. And I, I feel like it's <laughs> I feel like it's more consistent, though, honestly, like if we're looking at some of the parables, I'm thinking like in Luke, where like the lost sheep, like Jesus does go after that one thing that doesn't seem connected. Right. And encourages us as disciples to also go after the the lost coin, the lost sheep, like that one thing that maybe seems removed and to bring it back. Like, and so I feel like that's consistent with his message. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you wanted to respond to that, but. <laughs> no, well, well, look, that's the last step when it comes to Bible interpretation. When After you know what the Bible says and you you do your best to work out what it means, you know, what, what and which means what's the historical meaning? What does this actually mean for all time and yeah. eternity? Then the last question is, well, what does it matter to me today? What the heck do I do? What, what implications does that have for me today? And I think if we, to discover how it matters to you and I today, we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. I mean, I think that's the best fit for you and I, you know, in that picture. Are, are we the Pharisees? Are we the disciples? Are we Jesus? Right. Well, I think we're probably most associated with the disciples, okay? So Jesus, to his new covenant community, which would include us, was saying at that point in history, listen, there's two vines that you can belong to. You can belong to the old covenant vine of Israel, or you can belong to the new covenant vine of Christ. Well, that's us. We belong to the new covenant vine of Christ. Now, is Jesus saying that God the Father, if you're fruitless, will remove you? Or is he saying he'll lift you up to give you hope for more fruitfulness to come? Well, depending on how you how you render that mm-hmm. meaning, I personally think it's more consistent with the gospel that God the Father will lovingly care for branches and lift them up. And mm-hmm. I, I take that as saying, you know, even... Uh, for, for me, if I'm feeling fruitless, if I'm discouraged or down about my apparent lack of fruit, fruitlessness in the kingdom, I will not let that discourage me. I'll say, Father, you've promised to lift me up. You've promised to lift me up and point me to the shining light of the sun. And I depend on you. I thank you. I am attached to Christ today. And nothing, Romans 8 says, will remove me from his love. I am mm-hmm. saved. I am um, born again. I'm part of that covenant community. And today I stay rooted in Christ and I, I 
I allow you to support me and to sh- to point me towards the ever shining light of the sun. And uh, so that that's the implication that I would take from that. And the encouragement that that I would take, that God has planted me into a true vine. And that word true can Mm. also, as you read other passages, mean it's a heavenly vine. It's an eternal vine. This is an eternal community. And so I'll take great encouragement from uh, from this passage, knowing that God the Father will care for me even if I feel uh, fruitless. Wow. I mean, it is amazing. Like it's all about perspective. And obviously the interpretation of scripture has been debated. I mean, we see it like in the letters, like, I mean, Paul and Peter and just, I mean, the original apostles are, you know, debated about like how we should interpret Jesus's messages. So this isn't new for us. There's parts of me where I'm like, I wish Jesus would have just been a little bit more specific or, you know, but I think especially, I don't know, today, I just, I love your point about interpretation and we can choose to look at it one way and we can choose to look at it the other. And, you know, here in America, we are just struggling all over the place with like our interpretations of things and our, you know, both sides of these issues. And so I just, I really appreciate um, these two perspectives that you've given us. Um, And I think you know, they both have value. I definitely like prefer the more optimistic one. Hey, but. Look, one, th- one thing I can I know about you, Julie, already is that you, and, and this is what good Bible teachers do. And I say this right at the preface of, of my book. I believe that good Bible teaching should both secure us confidently in our convictions. Oh, that's true. I get that. I believe that. I see that. That's clear to me. Yet good Bible teaching should also leave us with questions. And to go, oh, I wonder, because curiosity is one of the greatest attributes of any Bible student. And that's why people are listening to this podcast today. They're curious. They want to learn. Mm -hmm. They want not only questions answered, but questions stimulated. I think people should leave today knowing, John 15, what a great, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus was drawing on an Old Testament motif Mm -hmm. when he said, I'm the true vine. Verse one seals the deal for me. I get that. That's super clear. Verse two, wow, that presents some questions, doesn't it? And that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to have questions and it's okay to under to appreciate those different perspectives. And certainly in your culture and in ours in Australia, because we often follow suit with America, um, that is something that it seems to be waning in our society, the ability to actually say, look, there's different views on this and actually yeah. it's okay to, to just dialogue about it. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that podcasts like yours exist where we can do this, where we can nerd out a little bit um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and say that is super clear, what a great Bible teaching. And then on certain things go, you know what, they're two very different ideas and both of them, both of them hold water in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, Chad, you're so well-spoken and um, your community and your church community are just are so blessed to have you um, as their teacher. And, and now you wrote this book, so, and you've shared so much with us. Uh, where can we find out more about you? Um, what else would you like to share with us about, about your book or about your ministry? Well, it's been a privilege, Julie. What a great way to start the day, nerding out on a Bible study in John 15. <laughs> I think this is this is great. Um, look, again, my name, it'll be in, in the show notes, but Chad Mansbridge. I mean, uh, the, the interwebs are uh, pretty comprehensive. It's easy to find me. There's not many too, too many Mansbridges around. So chadmansbridge.com uh, is my website. And then my book is You Can Handle the Truth, Making Sense of the Bible in Three Simple Steps is the subtitle. You Can Handle the Truth. And it's a book basically to help people handle the Bible for themselves. It's not about me telling you 
this is what the Bible says, this is what you must believe. It's about saying you have the Bible in your hands and God has given you the tools to handle it well. And this is how you can do that. I break it down into three simple steps and uh, it really takes a complex issue, hermeneutics, that can be very technical. Some books on hermeneutics, oh my goodness, Julia, they're, they're just mm-hmm. so laborious <laughs> and technical, yep. <laughs> my Lord. This is a conversational mentoring. All the technical terms are in the end notes. There's like 230 end notes, okay? But it's conversational. Mm-hmm. It has illustrations and articles and, and there's a lot of humor in it and examples, principles, but examples. And, uh, and it's won a couple of uh, awards already. So you can handle the truth and uh, people can access that wherever they get books, audio, electronic, and my favorite, of course, is paperback. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. And I encourage my listeners to check that out. You've given us so much to think about just of these couple of verses of John 15. If you all would like to find out more about me and this podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at seven mile chats. I'd love to hear from you if you'd like to be a guest. I'm also on Twitter at Miss Struckley one, where I tweet a little bit about what I'm going on, what's going on in my classroom and Catholic education. But uh, Chad, once again, thank you for starting your morning with me in this way. I really appreciate it. It's a privilege. Thank you, everybody. Bye, everyone.